Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison. I am a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me uh, is the rain-soaked remains of my fellow contributor at NinerNoise.com, Chris Wilson. Chris, how are you doing this evening? Once again, it's a away home game for me, and I leave wet. <laughs> and not as happy as last time, but I knew it was coming. Yeah. I went to a Ravens game, and the 49ers didn't win the game. So blame it on me. I'm sorry, all 49ers fans. It's all my fault. But if they're going to the Super Bowl, I'm going anyway. So you have to deal with our loss there. Hopefully we don't play them. Yeah, that would be bad. Overall, I thought it was a interesting game, except for the fact that I couldn't feel most of my fingers or my toes because I wasn't dressed appropriately. <laughs> my mom is probably upset about that. So sorry, Mom. <laughs> the Niners really outplayed the Ravens in that weather i know that the ravens play differently when lamar jackson can grip the ball properly and throw the ball downfield and that's a major part of the ravens offense yes but you can do that you would think that the 49ers would win this game especially given the stat line but unfortunately the 49ers were outcoached and they allowed jackson to do what he wants to do and what the ravens coaching staff wanted to do with him as well which is basically get himself in space where he's quicker than everyone else on the field and uses athleticism to not necessarily go for the long runs, but just move the sticks. I think he only had an, a top run of maybe 14 yards or something like that, but he was consistently moving the ball, getting into positive down distance situations, yeah. bailing out his running backs if they ever were stuffed on the rare occasion that they were, that he actually handed it off to them. And because of that, the 49ers and that and, and all the other things we'll talk about over the next 45 minutes or so, <laughs> the 49ers lost the game, but they lost the game to you know the hottest team in the NFL. And it's a game that they really should have won, especially in those very, very wet conditions. Yeah. So I'm still drying out my shoes. I don't know how to dry shoes out. If somebody can please. Yeah, I think you just have to me. leave them out. I think that's the only solution. I've been doing that. And I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's too cold outside. I don't know. <sighs> Best, best selectee on that. Yeah, maybe I'll just buy new shoes. I don't know. So shoes still wet. My heart still hurts deeply, but it was expected for me. So 
Yeah, absolutely. We talked a little bit about it. Um, just the last week was the, the conversation and really the week before that, when we were talking about the Packers game, it was this, these three games that are coming up that were, you know, they're almost clear of, they have this one last game and they'll be through this little mini gauntlet of teams. And we talked about how highly unlikely it was that they were going to go three and O during the, during the run, but the two and one was a real possibility. And it felt like the loss was going to get sandwiched in if two and one was, was going to happen. Um, and, and then in reality, that's, that's really okay anyway. Um, because you know, for one, it's an AFC team as opposed to the two NFC, the, the two NFC teams on the other side, you know, with the Packers and the saints coming up, uh, next week. And, um, I think the fact that the, uh, that Seattle already lost to Baltimore, so it, that doesn't really hurt that much. Right. So it's not a sort of major deal. Like, so if it comes all the way down to like, if the division were to come down to uh, the the common <laughs> teams that they played outside the division, that probably that's not going to create a, a major deal and things like this. So it was more or less the game uh, that you would have expected in the weather that it was uh, that 2017 uh, final score. And of course, you know the Ravens having the best kicker in the NFL ended up ended up helping them. Surprise, surprise! <laughs> in a situation like that, um, but as you mentioned, it was a it was a really interesting and and honestly a, a really uh, well played game between two of the top teams in the NFL, and it's it's a sort of interesting to to think about the difference between uh, this game and the one in Washington a couple of weeks ago, where the conditions were very similar, but the the score and the quality of the game was significantly different and it's just the difference between having one really good team versus a really bad team and then two good teams playing each other um and then i think you also need to take my conspiracy theory that yeah baltimore cares to manage their field in in a way where you can still play sports on it when it rains and washington does its best to make sure you can't Correct. Yeah. I mean, it was it was noticeably raining the whole time and it was very wet and uncomfortable looking. You know that I'm a meteorologist in my uh, spare time (laughs) and I could tell you that it was raining pretty much similarly to the way that it was during the game. But it certainly was not the same level of like, how are they even moving in that slop like (laughs) like it was in the Washington game? A little colder, I imagine. Yeah, it, it was a lot colder. Yeah, definitely, definitely a lot colder. A lot less pleasant, especially since I did not have tickets that were underneath any type of apparatus that would block the rain. So that was a negative. But since <laughs> the players on the field don't have that luxury, <laughs> it was definitely noticeably different on the field of play. And part of that has to do with the, the actual field and what it's made of. For sure. And yeah. then I think part of it has to do with the way that Washington really just didn't care to maintain their field to a level that you would assume that would meet NFL standards. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to go full conspiracy on that. I do, I do, please. Well, here we go then. The Redskins are a really bad team, and they've been a really bad team for a long time, and they knew that the only way to that they were going to get out of that game looking slightly unscathed was to do something that would sort of make the game ugly. <laughs> and the Ravens didn't really, there was no benefit for them doing that, right? Because they're good, a good team, and in you know normal weather that would have been a, a a different game i think in a lot of ways but um i mean to my mind i i don't think that that this you know there was the sort of doom and gloom initially with uh the 49ers losing and then the Seahawks winning on Monday night and we'll talk more about that in a little bit 
Um, but you know, I, I, I think the, regardless of, of the outcome, the 49ers still proved themselves that, uh, to be among the top teams in the NFL. And I think that's really the important thing. And the, the big important thing is getting into the playoffs. Um, yeah, it would be nice to have the number one seed and sure they still have their ability. They, they're still in control of that, of whether or not that happens. You know, if they win three out of their next four games or all four of their next final four games or whatever, they're, they're going to be fine. But getting in is the important thing, and I think that they are, they will be in a position to do that over the course of the next couple of weeks, regardless of this game. As being a fan for a while and learning a little bit about football, I've, I've learned that if you don't make it to the playoffs, then you can't win the Super Bowl. That is correct. That's 100% correct. Yeah. yeah. So getting there, I would say, is number one. And, and obviously the odds are a lot higher if you, A, get home games, and then B, have that first round by one less game. Makes it a little bit easier. But yeah, getting in the playoffs is number one. The 49ers look like they are in very, very good position to do so. And if they stay their current course, they'll either snatch up the NFC West or they will snatch up the top wild card spot and then will travel to uh, an NFC East location to play a team that you would expect to be the easiest game of the five possible opponents they could be playing. But and then, of course, the last time we saw a, uh, a losing team uh, you know, hosting a, uh, a much, much better team, it didn't work out very well for, them, for that better team. So they, they have to play the game on the field, as they say, because it's true. So basically just get in the playoffs is number one, play well, and the Seahawks are not going to be winning all the rest of their games for the rest of the year through the playoffs and to the Super Bowl because that's just not going to happen. Yeah. I, I feel fairly confident in saying so, and hopefully I did not jinx anything. So I think the 49ers are in a good, good situation here. In a lot of ways, the Seahawks can't really say that they don't deserve their wins, but it's very, very unlikely given their Pythagorean win expectation yeah. stuff I went into in length that you did not want me to repeat again. <laughs> I'd read somewhere or listened to another podcast where I heard that they had the worst <laughs> score differential of any team with their record in the history of the NFL. Compared to the 49ers, it's like more than 100 points less or something crazy like that. Seems about right. And then the other thing was... Those when you lose when you only lose two... When you lose two, you're only two games by, you know, minus six. That's usually a good place to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Niners are definitely in a great spot. Whereas the Seahawks, they've gotten very lucky and you can't continue to get lucky even if you have Russell Wilson is in a magical bubble water. The other thing is that I read somewhere that the Saints were something like, like fifth on that list, hmm. so which I, I thought was surprising. So I'd have to look into that. If that is the case, that, that bodes very well for the Niners going forward. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sweating it yet, but a win this week would be very nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just as a as an FYI, so uh, pro football or sorry, football outsiders get those two things mixed up. Uh, currently has it, it's it's crazy if you look at the playoff odds. The Seattle and, and San Francisco are like identical almost. There's like mild. Um, <laughs> mild alterations. 49ers currently at a 99.4% chance of making the playoffs, 59.9% uh, chance of making the wild card. Of course, a lot can change with those numbers very quickly. 39% uh, of getting a of uh, first round by, 39.5% of winning the division, um, and 26.9% chance of getting the number one seed. So there you go. I've seen those numbers all over the place. 538, they historically, the last couple of years, not really liked the 49ers. I thought that theirs were a little bit lower, but a lot of sites do it. Yeah. So when you average out all the major prediction sites, the Niners currently have a roughly 
percent chance of winning the division, which would basically guarantee them a first round bye, and a sixty-eight to sixty-nine percent giggity <laughs> chance of grabbing a wild card spot, which would almost certainly be the number five spot. They cannot get a number four seed. No, because, that's impossible because the division. Because there isn't an NFC East. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they have a very, very minuscule chance of grabbing the number three seed. So it's pretty much one or two or bust. And their bust would be the five. And that's pretty much it. So that's where they stand. Yeah. You know, f- feeling okay after this last game. Yeah, yeah. And after this next win, then I'll be feeling great once again. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's go ahead and move into the uh, one up, one down section for the Ravens game. It was a weird game in that. This is, uh, you know, you feel bad about it. And again, as we were talking about, it's a loss and that's not great. But I think there's there's some good things that we can take out of it. And so I will begin with my up for the game. And that will be uh, Mr. Raheem Mostert, who was the basically the ground offense for the 49ers uh, on Sunday. He carried the ball 19 times for 146 yards, which is pretty good. That's uh, 7.7 yards per carry. Um, I mean, that was bolstered pretty heavily by his, uh, I believe, 40-yard touchdown run. Yep. But still, 18 for 106 would still be pretty decent. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's not like some of those numbers we've been looking at in, in recent weeks where it's like, oh, you take out the, the chunk play and, and the numbers look really bad. You know, 18 for 106 is not not, not bad. I'll take almost not six yards to carry all day long. Not a bad day at all, but the 19 for 146 looks even better. Um, he caught two balls, including one of the more bizarre plays that I've seen where, where Garoppolo basically, I, I don't remember what was happening because this has happened like two weeks in a row now where he's sort of gotten almost sacked and then just kind of chucked it up in the air. Was this the one where he just sort of like threw it sideways and Mostert was kind of like standing there and he was like, here, you have it kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. I think I remember that. Oh yeah. It was the one where Mostert missed the block, I believe. So crap was like, oh yeah. When you take it <laughs> and, and, and just toss the ball, like you deal with all those defensive linemen and linebackers coming to come kill you. Cause I'm not getting killed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a uh, I, interesting play. I mean, to his great credit, he, he caught it. Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty good, pretty good motion. And then it was the one, the one last week where he basically just kind of chucked it up in the air. And uh, I think it was Mostert who was on the, like just standing on the back, the behind the, like he had blocked and then just kind of was just standing there. I, I'm not even sure that he was actually running a pattern. But Garoppolo's like, I gotta get rid of this ball, and he kind of <laughs> tossed it over the over the line, and he was like, "Oh, thanks." Um, but anywho, uh, focusing more on this game, uh, Mostert has, t- to my mind, he's basically making a case for himself to be the the one A or the sort of secondary option behind Matt Breida when Breida returns. I, I don't necessarily think that you know we need to ditch Tevin Coleman completely. But I think Tevin Coleman has basically proven himself to be a, a guy who's going to be like a third option or like a, a basically a receiving back option at this particular point. Maybe a slight change of pace because he certainly does offer something different than than Brita and and Mostert do in that he's not as fast as they are. Um, and he can still but move. But he, his skill is certainly catching the football more than it is running the football because really other than that, uh, Carolina game, his running uh, numbers have been less than impressive. Um, Mostert was the 49ers' second highest graded offensive player per PFF this week, 73.2, uh, who was just a hair in front of George Kittle at 72.2. Uh, 
Kittle not elite this week apparently, um, and he was miles behind Mike McGlinchey, who was who was the top rated offensive player for the 49ers this week with an elite eighty eight point nine grade. So good for McGlinchey this week. All right, somebody can block. Yeah, he looked a lot. He looked like he was a lot more comfortable than he's been in a long time. Um, just as an aside, Mostert has not gotten a lot of chances this year uh, for whatever reason. Some of it has been just the bulk of running backs that they have and and the fact that he also excels as a special teams player and so i i guess to a certain extent it's like well we don't we don't want him to get hurt you know as a running back because then we lose him as a special teams player which i'm not really sure is like the greatest of logic but i can sort of sort of see it um but he is uh he has managed to become the team's second leading rusher he's actually just like i think something like four yards behind Brita. Uh, he's got 539 yards on 92 rushing attempts. Not too shabby. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something else. Yeah, that's 5.9 yards per carry. Um, and now Which he, I think it's actually less than he was averaging last year, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think he was like was. almost like eight yards a carry last year. I mean, it was just something like ab- absolutely absurd. But he he only he had like, like maybe like a third of the number of rushes that he has. Yeah, this until year. he broke his arm yeah. um and i mean he, a lot of it is he is he excels at chunk plays it feels like whenever he gets the ball he's moving and he's going a long way he doesn't have a lot of opportunities obviously where he gains just a few yards at a time he almost never gets uh taken down behind the line of scrimmage which is a great thing to have now he is a little bit sort of one trick pony in that he's not really a great catcher of the football um, he's more of a, 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 of a sort of traditional, you know, fast and shifty running back in that, in that regard. But the thing that I like about him and the, th- and the reason that I think he needs to be sort of the secondary option is he doesn't hesitate. He sees where he wants to go and he goes. And with Coleman, you can see him like thinking about it. Like there's, there's clearly like wheels turning in his head and it's like, where do I go? Where do I go? Where do I go? And by the time he's made the decision, it's just too late and there's just no yard. There's nothing there. And he's either getting taken down behind the line of scrimmage or he's moving forward and he's only gaining, you know, one or two yards. And that's just, it's like you're watching Looney Tunes back in the day. Um, Bugs Bunny or something like that. And you're seeing his thoughts or like the anvil that's about to drop on his head. Yeah. Yeah. He's, (laughs) he's definitely thinking, and Moster doesn't seem to be doing that. So the the moral of the story is uh, <laughs> less think less thinking, less, which, is, which is actually my motto in life. Yeah. Oh boy, it's working out for me pretty well. <laughs> so we need some. Uh, we need more Moster. That's 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 my my line of thinking here. Um, even with you know Brita coming back, I think uh, hopefully this week, uh, I think it's really important that uh, the Niners find a way to to get Moster the ball when possible. Who would you rather start between those two running backs? Obviously, Coleman out of the equation. Between Breida and Mostert? Yeah, between Breida and Mostert. With Coleman as the number three. Um, I mean, I think I, th- I still think Breida is your number one guy. I think he offers a little bit more. He's improved vastly as a pass catcher, which makes him a little bit more... Um, I mean, Mostert's not bad, but he just doesn't provide the same skill set, I think, in that regard. Um, he's also not a, as I, th- I, I think, and I'm, this is, I, I, this is anecdotal and I, I don't necessarily have any way of thinking about this, um, of sort of backing this up necessarily, but I think that Brita's, uh, pass blocking is a little bit better, uh, than Mostert's is, uh, more consistently. Um, and so that kind of makes him a better option. Yeah. I'd sort of rather have neither of them, 
blocking unless it's like an emergency situation. Which is like- <laughs> right. Well, yes. I, ideally, you don't want them. You want them out in space where they can be using the fact that they're very fast to their advantage. But yes. You know, like uh, saw a loud Jackson to do on every play. Sort of like that. Uh, we ain't there yet. Calm down. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, the downs. Down. Uh, we're still in the ups. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, up. So speaking of which, do you have your up for the Ravens mm-hmm. game? I do. And my up is Kittle. And I, I know that you mentioned a, a number of other 49ers who had high PFF grades and you know, great stats and et cetera. But I'm going to give it to Kittle just because of a certain talking head at ESPN who will remain nameless because he doesn't deserve his name spoken by me, <laughs> commenting that Kittle just can't block. He's just not a good blocker. And I guess later he said, well, it's not really what it really meant. I just meant, you know, compared to Gronk, he's not a good blocker. I'm like, is he really not that good of a blocker compared to Gronk? I don't know, man. I mean, he's definitely one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL, like just straight up. And by far, he's the best blocking tight end of the top tier receiving tight ends. Like, can you imagine like Ertz or Kelsey trying to block like that? I mean, it's, it's just absurd. So it's a guy who's injured to the point where most players would not be playing, given his knee situation and his ankle situation. And even in that game, he, he came back and scored a touchdown. And he still gives 100% of himself, especially in the blocking game, even more than in the passing game. And he just loves to be in the trenches and just loves to have his way with opposing linemen and opening up holes for his running backs. Basically, if you could draft a player in whatever round you can draft him, you want to draft a guy like Kittle. And for anyone to say that he can't block just doesn't know what he's talking about and should stick to whatever sport he normally analyzes because there's no way that, that he's an NFL analyst. <laughs> I think he's yeah. like a, a basketball guy or something like that. But yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, mean, it's just, I mean, it's just an absurd comment. And, and for that, I need to give love to Kittle because the love is deserved. And again, like my last week, he is my uh, spirit animal. So, so I just gotta protect my man here. The more, the more love we can give to George Kittle, who is a national treasure, uh, the better. I say. This guy not have his own stamp by now. The most hilarious thing about the comment is that if you look back at uh, at Kittle's draft information, like all the stuff that was all the scouting and stuff that was coming out, really the only thing that anybody knew for sure that he was good at coming out of college was blocking. Because of the type of offense that Iowa ran, they didn't throw the... What did he have? Something like fewer than 50 catches in his career at Iowa? Something, it's, it's something crazy like that. Like, they just didn't throw the ball. Remember, remember who the quarterback was. Yeah, well, yes, so. I know that. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, the, but the fact of the matter is they just didn't throw to the tight ends very much. So blocking was the thing that he needed to, to, to do, and he got... Uh, really good at it and so that was the thing that that dropped him even though people knew that he was you know a really good athlete and um and all those things the fact the reason he dropped to the fifth round in the first place is because barely anybody had ever seen him catch a football <laughs> so there was a lot of concern about whether or not he was actually going to be a, a pass catching tight end in the nfl or if he was just going to be subjugated I think he is i i yes i believe that he's answered that question um 100 <laughs> at least last year yeah yeah for sure um it's yeah crazy he's 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 been really good this year even when with all the injuries and everything that's going on so and and the fact of the matter is the team's better 
when he's playing. That that's just fairly obvious watching them. Yeah, he's even when he's significantly injured, it's it's a totally different offense when he's in the game because teams need to pay attention to him, and they learn that when they don't, then suddenly he's sixty yards downfield uncovered and he's scoring <laughs> touchdowns. And it doesn't matter if what's tore or broken or he, he, he don't care. He's going to be running hard and whatever he did. I'm sure he's going to be taking whatever meds he can after the game, <laughs> and he'll be back next week and he'll be doing it the same thing again. So it's heard that he. Apparently will play the remainder of the season hurt, and it don't matter because he is Kittle, and he will dominate when he's on the field and whoever he's up against. Yep, so absolutely, I'm glad that we have him, and I hope that he can remain at a point where the, the, the doctors will allow him to play. Basically, that's all we need. Just allow him to play, and we will be good. Uh, he's still here, Buddha. That's all I got to say. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and that's that's like my favorite thing that's happened. All year long, it was that uh, footage from <laughs> from that game, he was calling out Buda Baker. Anyway, um, on we go to uh, the downs for the game. Um, and there, there were some directions that I could have gone with this, uh, and I think you're going to cover some of the others. Um, Me, but that I'm going to no way. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> but I'm going to go uh, most unfortunately with uh, Mr. Robbie Gould. Uh, or gold, or however it is that you want to pronounce his last name. He can't kick. Uh, it looks like so gold, whatever. but it's probably gold. <laughs> whatever. Anyway, the kicker. Uh, our really expensive kicker. Um, look, I, I, I do want everybody to understand. I, I recognize that this is his first game after he missed, like, what, three games uh, with a leg injury, and leg injuries for kickers, probably not good. Um, I also understand that the conditions weren't great, that it was wet and rainy, and I'm assuming a little windy as well. There was just a lot of negative things going in his direction. I also understand that the, that the team didn't do him any favors by the, with the first kick that they asked him to, to, to attempt after, um, (laughs) after his returning from injury outside of the two extra points that he got on the touchdowns was a 51 yard attempt to close out the, the first half Um, that was blocked because of how, far away it was and so that's a little bit on the offense for not getting the ball closer and giving him a better ch- a better shot in this particular game uh, but the fact of the matter is, is he's just been kind of anywhere from so-so to really unreliable this year even when he has been playing um, and it's unfortunate because of the sort of back and forth dance that they did with him all all uh, off season where it's like, Oh, we're going to franchise tag you. And he was like, well, I'm not going to play another franchise tag. And they went back and forth and they finally signed him and they gave him a lot of money. And he just hasn't kicked anywhere near worth that money. And in fact, um, our uh, friend of the pod and pod favorite Chase McLaughlin uh, (laughs) was actually kicking better than him. uh, Minus the stinker, the one really bad kick against, uh, Seattle, he'd actually hit all of his field goals, so it wasn't as if I think. I think we've established the fact that it wasn't him. He was in the bathroom or something, right? It was some drunk yeah, guy. Who, it's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. So, so Chase, um, he's kicked all, all his field goals this year for us. Yeah, wherever you are, Chase, where, wherever you we are. miss you, buddy. Um, but yeah, uh, the fact of the matter is that 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 Gold's here at this point because they are not going to take a six point six million dollar dead money hit for a kicker at this particular juncture, especially in the middle of the season. So that is what's going on. Like the, it, some of this is saving face, I think. 
um, which is unfortunately not a good thing. And I, I don't think that his performance at any point during the season and certainly not on on Sunday was was worth uh, that situation. Um, the other problem is, is that I'm looking at this now. So that $6.6 million is the current dead money. It doesn't get any better if they wait until after June 1st to cut him, by the way. Um, <laughs> the dead money uh, dropped down to $4.35 million next year. So, yikes. Um, <laughs> Chris, any thoughts on that? My thoughts are Robbie Gold didn't want to be here, and he told the 49ers he didn't want to be here here being not being Washington DC, <laughs> but it, but uh, in the Bay Area, and the 49ers brass didn't care, and the 49ers decided we need gold because he kicks all the field goals. We put him in there in bad situations, and we don't need to be as good as we should be in late game or late half decisions. And we know we have Robbie Gold, and he will bail us out of bad situations. What? they learned a unfortunate lesson and it was similar to the lesson that Chicago learned when they let go of him in the first place. Cause like, why would you let go of Robbie gold? I mean, they just cut him. They just flat out cut him because he was missing field goals left and right. And comes to the Niners. Suddenly he's, you know, Jesus reincarnated and just kicks everything and just takes the ball and just, just drops him, you know, over the, uh, the goalpost for, for field goal. So uh, I think that he actually, if I remember correctly, he set the field goal record two years ago for for the most field goals in a season, I believe. That sounds so, right. So I mean, the, the guys are just like on fire. And then last year, he led the NFL with a ninety-seven point one percent field goal conversion rate. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I remember these numbers is because I looked them up a couple of days ago, and I, I think I got this this last one right as well. <laughs> this year, he's converted sixty-three. Point six, and you can think of a reason why I wouldn't remember that number. Giggity, oh, kicks. So yes, yeah, so you're an adult. Yeah, no, I'm not. Um, well, technically I am, but not in my head. So I mean, he's gone from the most reliable kicker in the NFL to a kicker who, if they weren't paying him so much money and so much more money that you would ever pay a kicker if you know what you're doing, <laughs> that, that I don't know. I mean, they're, they're stuck with the dude, and he can't kick field goals accurately, and you can't count on him. And the 49ers are in a situation now where they have a kicker that they cannot count on to kick a field goal when it matters. And Shanahan realized that during the game because he had a couple other opportunities where he could have put gold on the field, where he would have put gold on the field last year, and he didn't this year. And in both those situations, the 49ers were forced to go for it as opposed to uh, to kick field goal. I mean, even Shanahan said after the game that if he hadn't called that horrible play call on fourth down in the fourth quarter that I might be talking about in a minute, that he was going to punt. And I was like, so why would you punt if your whole objective, as you said earlier in the press conference, was in the first half was to get gold to that point so he could kick the field goal? Like, you're just not making any sense. You know, so I mean, just tell it like it is. With Shanahan, I understand why he's trying to protect his guys and and you're not always going to get the straight answer from him. But obviously what he's telling us is not correct <laughs> and it's not accurate because he either lost some faith in him. I feel like it would have been better to say, after seeing the field conditions and what happened, then you know, we just knew that you know, it wasn't the proper distance for him to be kicking a field goal. I mean, that would have been an easy solution as opposed to just like straight up lying to us. But, <laughs> but um, you know... Coaches do lie. It's yeah. it's something that happens that I've, I've heard 
Yeah, people do that. Except for Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll never ever lies. No, because he's too busy chomping on his gum. He can't Yeah, try to understand anything you're saying. Yeah, so so San Francisco has lost both of their games by three points. That is correct, yes. And in both games, they played against teams with reliable kickers, and the kickers nailed each of their two field goal attempts. So... Fortnite are going well, to get and, to and, and had a chance to win both of the games if they had a kicker that they that the 49ers relied on. If Chase doesn't miss the the field goal, then all is well. And if uh, they felt more comfortable with with uh, with with Robbie on Sunday, they probably are able to whittle that down to a little bit further and at least take the lead at that point and force the the uh, the Ravens into a into a more difficult uh, effort. In that uh, in that game for sure. Yeah, and I, I think I must have either jumped ahead into myself there or just assumed that what we were talking about before would carry on <laughs> into the section. But in both situations, the Fortnite's kicker missed a field goal once because it wasn't Chase and it was some drunk guy, and, and he missed it in the most epic fashion possible. And then the second time, because Gold had it, it blocked or whatever, and then you know the next two times he wasn't even afforded the opportunity to kick well because apparently they don't trust him so the point if i were more eloquent would be that the 49ers kicker missed a very important field goal and the the team that they lost to by three points both of their kickers made both of their field goals and that was you know it wasn't the only difference in the game but it was a difference in the game whereas if it were the other way around the 49ers would have won the game so the 49ers need a reliable field goal kicker and i don't know how they're going to get that unless gold turns it around because gold is going to be on this team until he starts just missing every field goal and then even if he does that I, they might still keep him i don't even know as like a backup or something uh, i mean they're, they're so stuck to him at this point and that's why you don't spend money on kickers because yeah they're not consistent <laughs> and that's you know, it's something that's been established, and they should know that from the fact that they, they. I mean, do you think that the Bears just gave up this amazing Pro Bowl kicker because they felt like it and because they're nice to us? Like, no, they they gave him up because he was missing all his field goals, and then we got him, and then suddenly his confidence is back, and then I don't know. It's just to me, just I mean, maybe it was like more cordial between the two sides, but if I were the employer and you can get another kicker, and yeah, gold's been great. If he wants to go back to Chicago, then either let him go or you know, work out a trade. Just don't make him stay if he doesn't want to stay because you need to count on this guy, and he needs to be, want to be a part of this team, and he needs to want to kick field goals. He needs to want it badly, and he probably does. Like I, 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 don't, know, I don't know anything about him uh, personally, but from everything that I have heard, third hand or otherwise he's supposed to be an upstanding guy and i'm sure that every one of these field goals that he's missing you know, is killing him i'm sure it is but at the same time why are you going to force someone into a situation that they don't want to be in and the fact that you had to overpay him so drastically for him to stay yeah I mean, it tells you something so i think they made a big mistake keeping him for the price that they kept him i would have loved for them him to have wanted to stay I would love for them to have paid him a reasonable amount of money to stay. Yeah. But I did not like the way that they handled the situation. And they sort of had him by the 
whatever. <laughs> Remember, this is a G-rated podcast. Yeah, right. And 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 the fact that the fact that they can't do anything about it unless they eat a lot of money at the end of the season is is troubling. That that's the real problem at this point. Yeah, and and they have them, I guess, technically for another two option years, which will not be happening unless something drastic happens. And then he's just you know winning them Super Bowls this year and just. But that's the other thing about kickers is who knows what could happen. He could. You know, have a huge turnaround now and just blast every you know fill us with the uprights for the rest of the year. So it's it's just, let's hope so. It's such a crap, a crap shoot. If I if we yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, I did talk about that. Um, hopefully, I'm not going to like jail or something. Fans out of jail. <laughs> I think you'll be. I think you'll be okay. Hey, actually, don't don't suspend me because that's some very very important stuff to say here. Um, <laughs> so that's all I ask. And and maybe I'll say it right now. How about that? Yeah, why don't you go into your to your down? My down, my down is, uh, is every time I'm stupid enough to mention the coaching staff as an up, they do this to me. So my down is I have one single down is comprised of many non-players, and that is the 49ers coaching staff on offense and on defense. Looking at the stats and reading a lot of the of the articles that written by people who didn't watch the game, wow, you held Lamar Jackson to what is lowest passing output of the 2019 season? Yes, I believe so. So they held him to very very limited amount of yards through the air, but it was not necessarily anything that they did that made that happen. First, let's kick it off with the with the offense. Shanahan, I love it when you go for it on fourth down because going on for it on fourth down is generally a good idea in most situations, and that's sort of been proven through analytics. And coaches punt and kick field goals way more often than they should. And the one thing I just have to tell Shanahan is that you just can't just go for four on fourth down just whenever you feel like it. Like you need to call good plays as well. So you keep like, throwing the ball into like double coverage down the field, like praying that Debo is going to catch it on a fourth and two from the Baltimore 33 is a bad play call. It's bad. Don't do that. Like you got really, really lucky. I, I can only imagine it. If that was an incomplete pass, like it should have been. And then they didn't get the, the second fourth and one where they decided to throw the ball again. I mean, I don't know what people would be saying about Shanahan. So he got very lucky. And as you know, as it, I guess Grappolo, but I mean, Grappolo, those are the guys who were potentially open or triple covered or whatever. I don't know, but he didn't have a lot of options there. I mean, it's fourth and two. Why why do we always throw the ball deep on fourth and one and fourth and two? I I just don't understand. And it it like I think maybe it's like the first time it's ever worked. But we're just always just throwing these bombs. I, I don't know. And I, you know, I guess the same thing was happening last year when we played the Packers and. Like, hey, CJ, see how far you can throw the ball. Hey, hey that, that didn't work very well. Let's just give the ball back to Rodgers and let him drive down the field and score a touchdown. So, Shanahan, you need to work on, and, and I know you I know you have a, a very good listing of plays for these types of situations, so please use them. And if you want to throw in a, you know, a deep pass to confuse the defense every once in a while, or if you want to, you know, you know run someone out there to take the safeties out or something like that, that's great. But... Your main looks can't be so bad. <laughs> you need to call plays that are more likely to be successful, especially on fourth down. So the Niners went for it on the first drive, which which was right in front of me at uh, M&T Stadium, 
which was glorious. Seeing him, uh, seeing Debo go up and outmuscle the, the defenders for the touchdown. It was an exciting beginning to the game for sure. But then, of course, there's the fourth and one from the Baltimore 35, where the Niners were supposedly going to run, and then Shanahan decided to call a timeout because Baltimore had too many players in the box, and we decided that we can't get a yard on fourth down when there's so many players in the box, even though we've had stack boxes for much of the game and were unable to stop the Ravens running attack. So, I don't know, whatever. So they, they called timeout, which ended up being... It ended up hurting them in the end. And then they called a, a worse... I mean, I don't know what they called the first time, but whatever they called the first time was better than whatever they called the second time because it was not a very good play call. <laughs> and it basically ended in a... You know, he basically a pair of looks. He kept both of his running backs in the backfield for you know, extra protection with Garoppolo. And his first look was to the right, uh, I believe it was to Debo. And Debo was covered at the time, so looks back to the left. It was a little bit late to for a second read Kittle, and he tosses the ball to Kittle. The ball is knocked down. Thomas, who was all over Kittle on the play. But, you know, it's, it's not pass interference when, when the ball's not down at the line of scrimmage. So it was just a very poorly called play, something that I tweeted out on Twitter, and I'm like half of Niner fans like, why would you do that? And other half are like, I don't know. People got really, really angry at me tweeting that. I, I didn't even comment on it. I was just basically like, here, here was the play, just for anyone who didn't see it. And I don't know, just people were just very angry for some reason. You know, it's just... Looking back at Shanahan's history of calling similar plays, I'm like, why, like, why would he do this? Like, why would you, why would you call a play where you're in shotgun on fourth and one when you're just running over the other team? And and like you said, <laughs> Shanahan after the game, when you're lining up in you know behind center with Mustard behind you, they're stacking the box. So why wouldn't you line up? under center with Mostert behind you so they stack the box and then throw the ball. I, mean, I don't know. It, to me, that makes sense. But I'm not an offensive coordinator and I don't make, you know, whatever he makes a year. To me, make, it makes a lot more sense. That's what I would have done. So, you know, so I looked at some of his uh, his past pl- uh, plays when he's done similar things. And, and it was eerily similar to his third and one call in Super Bowl 51 where the Falcons were up by two scores, I believe, maybe even three scores, and they and it was like eight thirty to go, and it was it was basically a situation where you know you run, you run the ball and you hope you get a first down on third and third and one and move the sticks and keep on moving it and you're you're, you're going to win this game, but instead he puts Ryan into a shotgun and the Patriots blitz and Devontae Freeman misses you know misses the pickup and Ryan gets hit. You know, sort of looking the opposite direction and strip sack and Patriots ball. And it was like the beginning of the end of that Super Bowl. And it's just like, if you don't remember that, and if, if that doesn't keep you up at night, like it would keep me up at night if I was a fan of the team, let alone like the person who called that play. Like, I, I would never in a million years ever call anything like that again. And, and he just basically called call something very similar, except it was like the, the routes made even less sense. I don't know. It's. It, with Shanahan, I'm on one half very critical of him a lot, and then but the only reason that I am critical of him is like, yeah, you know, I guess it was like you know I don't, I don't have a son that I know of, but if I had a son, it's like I'm just more disappointed in you than I am mad at you because I know that you have so much ability inside you to be so elite 
at what you do and perhaps one of the best at what you do in the history of the sport. And then you make these decisions that just don't make any sense. And I think it was, it was um, Matt Mayoko who, who asked him maybe once, even, actually even t- maybe twice about that play and, and just wouldn't admit that he made a mistake. And I'm like, I guess it all comes down to, does he know that he's making a mistake or not? Cause if he knows he's making a mistake and he's just, you know, playing tough for the media, then that's fine. That's cool. But if he doesn't know that that's a really stupid thing to do, then the four ers are in trouble. So he needs to look inside himself. I'll be your therapist, Kyle. Look inside yourself and I think, why on earth would I call a play like that? Why would I think that that would work? And why wouldn't I call something that's going to be more successful and has been more successful for me and is sort of like an integral part of my offense, like like the play action? It's, it's like what scheme is based off of. His passing scene is based off of. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Do you have any thoughts on on why why he would do that, as opposed to just running like an, an obvious either run of the middle or even like a run run of the outside? That's I'm fine with that too. Or a play action. Like why would you why would you run that out of a shotgun? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm not not really sure. I think it, the the summary of it, I think for me, would be that sometimes he just gets a little too clever for his own mm-hmm. good. Um, and I'm he just kind of out, he kind of outthinks himself, I think. And I, I would imagine I, I am not a significantly super duper, like genius type level person at any particular thing. So I don't know what it's like, but this is what I understand. This is what I believe it would be like where, where you're just so smart that there's just so many things going on in your head that occasionally you make the wrong decision because there are just so many options because you're thinking about all of the options at all the time. And I just can't imagine what that would be like. Um, on top of that, I can't imagine what it would be like to have to think about these plays so quickly in the moment. Um, so, you know, I give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because I just don't know. I, I just can't even imagine how much thought and how much is going in into these these thoughts at any given moment, um, but at the same time, that was that particular one for sure. The one at the end of the game that essentially and that essentially ended the game uh, it was was it was frustrating because you want because you know that had just come off a, I mean, not not to to belabor a slightly separate point, but it also probably shouldn't have happened uh, because. Mostert probably got the first down on third down um, because he landed on top of a player and then rolled in across the first down line. I wasn't going to bring this up. And that but, happened several that happened but, several times. There were there were a couple of situations in the game where the Niners got a little uh the, the referees seem to make interesting decisions that put the 49ers in strange positions, but there were not, but Shanahan didn't take an opportunity. Like that seemed like that would have been a really good opportunity to throw the challenge flag and not have to put yourself in a fourth down position. Uh, but that's another thing altogether. I don't like, compl- actually, I love complaining about the refs. <laughs> I, I do all the, like, especially during the game. Oh my goodness. Like, it, like, that's basically all I talk about. <laughs> but but in general, if you're better than the other team, the refs don't 
have that much of an effect in the on the game. Although we know that if the refs really wanted to control pretty much any football game, they could they could control the result, the outcome of the game if they wanted to. But they're not going to do it. In, I don't think that there there's some major conspiracy or anything like that. And you know, except last week when they need to keep the game, game close and cons were called out. But other than that, like I don't think there's some major NFL conspiracy, like it's like FIFA or something like that. So I don't. I don't, really don't think even that, get me started yeah, on that. I don't, or, <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't really think that that's really a really a thing. But I mean, especially being at the game and and seeing where the ball like land, you know, st- stops, and then when, where the the reps pick up the ball, and when when they put it down, and where they put it down. It, especially the ref on the Ravens side of of the uh, field was always giving the Ravens extra yardage, and and. Another thing that's really weird is, and I don't know if this is some NFL thing, but they're putting the ball down like super, super late. Like they t- they pick the ball up and you just and it hold holding the guy would hold it with him, and then like maybe to, to dry it off would be yeah a I think it was a weather maybe, thing. yeah you know or something like that. But they would put it down like right before they were, they wanted to go up to the line, and often I would be like, that's not where it should be, <laughs> and, and it wasn't necessarily just on that drive, but it was like early in the game. I'm like. You can't just put it down like wherever you want. Like you need to put it down like where, where it should be, you know. And, and uh, I mean, on that drive, and then it was even worse during uh, the Ravens' final drive, where the ball just kept moving backwards and backwards and backwards, and they just kept putting the ball closer to the line of scrimmage, as if we didn't stop Ingram for a loss and we did, and as if we didn't stop Jackson for a four-yard loss. And we did, and they just moved up to three yards. And I'm just like, this is really important stuff here. Like, like just two yards right there, and this kick is a much harder kick. And I don't know how many yards he made the kick by, but it was probably about two yards. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I thought that was it was a little uh-huh. bit problematic as as well. And and I think that Shanahan missed a couple of opportunities to challenge calls. Instead, he called timeouts where he could have won one or two of the challenges. And I think he made a mistake there and he needs to realize that sometimes, Hey, I got to call timeout. You know what? I have this flag. Why not? You know? And it's like, this is sort of like a borderline call. Why don't I just use it? So I know, he, I know he's been good overall with, with his, uh, with his challenges, but, um, we don't get, get points for, for challenges and challenge percentage, uh, <laughs> success. So use the challenges that you have. They're just like timeouts. You know, you don't get to yeah. keep them for the next game. And uh, you know, use them when they when they are appropriate. Yeah, and so. I felt I felt that one in particular. And I saw I was out somewhere, and they were already they were replaying the game on NFL Network already um, last night. I think it was. Uh, and they yeah, I, uh, watching that play again. I, it didn't even occur to me when I was watching it live. But he one hundred percent never hit the ground until after he rolled over. He, he like rolled over on top of the defender. And came down on the other side of him, like, okay. C- clearly past the line of scrimmage, and I, I mean I don't know because they didn't. It was one of those things where it moved on and they were on to the next thing. But it certainly looked like it would have been worth challenging at least to put yourself in a situation where, you know, at least no, like use. The, I mean, it's not like you're going to need that timeout later. Um, <laughs> at least double check uh, to make sure that you're not going to have to go for it on fourth and one. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, gotcha. So, so the only, only other problem I have with Shanahan today um, <laughs> is his. 
after last week when I and I blame myself. I'm sorry for Niners fans, but I was proud of him for handling the clock correctly. And then he pulled his end of half lack of game, game clock management this game where he pretty much just gave up and decided that, oh, okay, I think, you know, just take this ball and you know, take, take the game at the halftime. We'll just deal with him in the second half. And and he kept getting chunk yards, but like he didn't believe in this team to push the ball down the field. And I think it was really telling when they asked him at, um, after the game, you know, like, what were you, th- I think it was, it was also, also Mayoko, I believe, who, if that's true, he's asking very good questions. Why? Like, what were you doing? What, what was the strategy? Like, what, what was? You know, why? Why would you do this? And, and he said something to the effect of, "Well, our number one priority was keeping the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands." And I'm like, "That's no, that's not. <laughs> your number one priority is putting the ball in the end zone. And your number two priority is keeping the ball out of Lamar Jackson's hands." And you know, we've talked before on this podcast. If you're in certain situations, for example, when the 49ers were playing uh, the Seahawks and the Seahawks had, I believe, they had no, no timeouts left, and the 49ers could have run down the clock you know, and just down the ball and took the tie and went home. I'm not saying they should have done that. They could have. But if you're in a situation like that, there is no way that the other team is going to get the ball any time to score. I mean, you, it ain't going to happen. And as a coach, you're going to play very conservatively. But in this game in the end of the second quarter, you have a offense that you're going up against that cannot move the ball. Like they, it takes them like 12 minutes to somehow get the ball down the field with the assistance of two personal foul penalties, some of which were okay. Some of them which were ludicrous. There's absolutely no chance if you play any decent amount of defense that Lamar Jackson is going to be able to get the ball down the field in two minutes. It's just not possible. He's, you can't throw the ball. Like I, I don't, maybe it's the rain. I don't know what it is, but like, you shouldn't be worried about that so much. And and he, he sort of gets confused about when he should be, play, be be playing conservatively and when he should be aggressive and his priorities are wrong. It's like if they, if he just not wasted so much time there, they would have gotten Robbie gold in position to miss a field goal that was closer or, or, or get the ball in the end zone. But you know, he said basically we're not going to give the ball back to Lamar Jackson. I'm like, well, no, actually, the best case scenario would, would be you giving the ball back to, to Lamar Jackson after you scored a touchdown with one second on the clock. Like that would be the best, you know, not just kicking a field goal at the end of regulation and having the uh, the happy over and you go to halftime. So he's, I don't know, man. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where they have so many, and he, I mean, obviously, he's a very, very intelligent guy, and they have so many other intelligent guys and, and gals on their staff that should be able to assist him in this manner. I don't know if he doesn't want assistance. I don't know if it's the kind of situation where they just want him just to do his thing and fail on his own or, you know, succeed on his own. I I don't know what it is, but he needs help in this area and he needs help prioritizing in these high pressure situations because once he gets in these high pressure situations, he's making bad decisions and he's been doing that for the entire time that he's been an offensive coordinator and i think that that is a negative that is extremely overshadowed by the positive that he brings to the team it's just why i'm always he always annoys me so much because he could be so good and 
I feel like he's so close, you know. And I think we talked about earlier about it, like you know Andy Reid. Andy Reid's never going to be one of the greatest coaches or play callers in the history of the NFL because he can't manage the clock. It's just like a foreign language to him, and probably mostly because of that more than anything else. He's just not going to be at the top of the top when he retires eventually. Shanahan has the ability to be one of the best with the way that he goes against the grain and the way that he utilizes his personnel and the way that he adapts based on his personnel, especially from year to year and sometimes from game to game. But he needs to get the important situations down and he needs to know what the objective is because he didn't, he didn't know what the objective of that drive was. And because of that, most are running left guard for 19 yards to the San Francisco 44 and, you know, two minutes on the clock. Why are we snapping with 120? Why are we doing that? And then, you know, we get a penalty. So, you know, move back 10 yards. So I guess we're giving up then. But then if you're going to give up, then why would you throw the next pass to Debo Samuel for eight yards? Like if you can give up, just run the ball in the middle or, or do your stupid pass to Kittle, you know, to get this negative yardage or whatever, and then just end the half. I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then after that play, you know, he gets the eight yards, you know, second and 12, and then he runs it all the way down to 32 seconds. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, it's like, just choose one, like one or the other. Or, you know, I mean, you can play it. You can play the middle of it, but he's just playing it way too far to the side. So it's like that you're down to 32 seconds. So what are you going to do from your own 42 yard line with 32 seconds when the play call is left tackle run by Mostert? Like, what's the best case scenario? I guess he takes it to the house. But, I mean, what's the you know, second best case scenario? He runs it for 16 yards like he did. <laughs> so now you're stuck with 26 seconds left. And you're on Baltimore's 42. So now you're working to get into field goal range. And you did this yourself. Obviously, you did the Emmanuel Sanders, quote-unquote, illegal block. Sort of did it you know, to himself. Or the refs did it to him or whatever. You know what I mean? That's pretty absurd. But, but whatever, it, you know. It, it definitely was. It, it was what it was, and there's not a lot we can do about it now. I don't think if there is. I don't think there is anything but, that we can do yeah, about yeah, it now. Yeah. Now. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So you're sticking yourself in a situation where now you're you you, you you you're in a great situation, and you're now struggling to get yourself into a situ into a, a a better place in the field where Robbie Gold can maybe attempt a field goal longer than one that he's he's kicked all year long, and he's coming back from injury, and it's just. It doesn't make any sense. And yes, you were very successful in, I mean, I mean, what he really should have said, if he, he doesn't think that he's just saying that because his answer to, to Mayoko or whoever asked her should have been like, we were successful because the objective is to not get the ball back. And we didn't, it would have been nice if we could have scored, but that's not the number one objective. So we, we, he, it's not the number one objective score, <laughs> you know, preferably by getting in the end zone. Cause that's what you're supposed to be doing. And second, you know, I can configure at the very, very end. And then third, running out the clock and taking it into halftime. So, it, you know, it was just annoying from that standpoint. Like I've been saying, except last week, he needs to work on that. And I'm sure that there are lots of intelligent people who would be very willing to be paid nothing to help him with this, who could specialize in it and who could run all the analytics and know exactly what play calls he wants and what percentage he thinks that these play calls can be successful and could really assist him in that endeavor. And until he either figures it out on his own or gets some OJT or you know, is taught <laughs> by somebody else or has somebody helping him with it, it's going to cost the 49ers games and points. 
And the 49ers are going to have to get lucky instead of good. And they need to be both lucky and good. So that's all I have to say about Shanahan. And I will finish that with. <laughs> that's all? I love the guy. So happy that we that we, that we grabbed him. And all, all of my criticism is, is straight out of... It's straight out of love, baby. You know, and, and it's just—I just—I just hope that he can become the coach and the OC that I can see that he can be. So positive, positive, positive. <laughs> Sala. Uh, I, 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 oh yeah, I got, I, I got a little Sala. You said you had a little, little Shanahan, but that was like forty-five hours ago. So I don't know how you feel about that word, little. Sala be short because it's very simple. <laughs> Sala's defensive scheme was just like it has been for a lot of the year. So crash down the edge. And allow Jackson to run the ball outside by himself against slower players. That's dumb. They were basically running a wildcat offense because Jackson could not throw the ball deep. I think he had one completion that was yeah you know, one completion that was over fifteen yards right and that just that that touchdown to the uh, the tight end who was uncovered. And other than that, he could not throw any complete pass to downfield. Like his best chance was throwing a ball up to Jimmy Ward, where like half the world gets upset that Jimmy Ward tries to catch it and that Andrews runs into him. And then apparently that's defensive pass interference. Like in, in whose world was that defensive pass interference? But anyway, whatever. I, I would have loved if they had reviewed that and it came back as offensive pass interference and, and then they you know, declined it. But I don't think that was a possibility. But or or maybe Shaney throws the flag. Hey, I want some offensive pass interference. <laughs> Salah, when you're playing against someone like Jackson, you want the ball to be in the running back's hands, not the fastest player on the team, and not on the outside by himself. So that became a huge problem in this game. And NFL teams know how to defend against the Wildcat because they've learned to do so, and it took them a little while to do so, but they now know how to defend against it. So treat him like a running back. He cannot throw. I mean, he can throw like any other athlete nfl caliber athlete can throw the ball but he's not throwing any balls 40 50 yards downfield accurately like he normally does which makes him so dangerous and that's why baltimore is so good because he's running all these all these option plays oh just kidding i'm just gonna hit uh hollywood brown for the you know for this six yard touchdown with sherman covering him and sherman's like 20 yards behind him now we're you know, scoring another seven points i mean that's what makes their offense lethal and you remove the most lethal part of their offense, but like Salah doesn't figure it out. So they keep treating him like he is like a viable quarterback when he's not. He's, he's, he's basically like Ronnie Brown. So treat him like Ronnie Brown. And Ronnie Brown wasn't around as a wildcat quarterback running back for very long because you know it was pretty easy to figure out how to stop him. So the fact that he was incapable of throwing the ball downfield and the... 49ers were incapable of recognizing that is very problematic to me. Shanahan said after the game that they didn't change their scheme. I don't know why. They left their secondary deep. I mean, on that one pass uh, deep to uh, to the Andrews. I mean, I mean, was he like triple covered? I mean, like, why are there so many players back there? Like the, the pass is not anywhere near where it's supposed to be. I mean, there's all these other passes where he's just throw, just throwing the ball like you know, just close his eyes and throwing as far as he can because he just can't throw it in the rainy conditions. And I don't know why he just can't maybe that's something that's going to change in the future, but he ends with 105 passing yards, 105 passing yards, which all that really does is just keep our, you know, our, our fantastic stats, you know, passing stats on defense elite. But other than that, you know, it doesn't do us any good because we lost, you know, 4.6 yards attempt. That's horrible. Just, you know, it's bad. I mean, of course, like he was still right up there with 
Garoppolo and actually I think it's is he better than Grapple than QBR? He was right around, around Grapple and QBR as well as on uh, PFF. So whatever, you know, I guess that uh, that's the ticket. Throw for 4.6 yards of attempt. You're good to go. It was the uh, second time in two weeks where the quarterback was the leading rusher for the opposing team after Kyler Murray for the Arizona Cardinals did the same against the 49ers. So the 49ers have a problem against running quarterbacks and they need to figure it out. They're lucky that they're not playing one this week. They're playing a special teams guy who they give the ball to in, in uh, Taysom Hill that I might talk about briefly, very, very briefly in a minute. But other than that, they do not have anybody like that. They have Drew Brees, who is very, very old and seems like a nice guy, but is not the most mobile. And definitely a fantastic quarterback who's bound for Canton one day. But if the 49ers can't stop a high school-style offense, which was essentially what the Ravens had, and I think they, could only stop, they couldn't stop it because they didn't recognize that it was, then that's something that Salah and Chris Kasurik, their D-line coach, need to work on because there's no reason why you have so many linebackers in the game and you have safeties who don't even play who could potentially even run down the quarterback and they're not on the field just because uh, Baltimore's running heavy sets. But you know that these heavy sets are going to end in a run right up the middle or, because we stop the run up the middle every play, even though it wasn't going anywhere, a run to the outside by Jackson. So why don't we have our fast guys out there to protect against that? I believe that Moore had zero snaps this game. How does he have zero snaps? Like if I was going to pick one player on the team to, to spy a opposing quarterback with elite speed, it would be more. And why isn't he playing? I, I don't understand. Like, why is, why is this the one game that he doesn't get any snaps? So it was just stuff like that. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And he's learning, but I'm sort of sick of that. <laughs> and his defense is elite when he's playing against pocket passers. And it sucks when he's playing against quarterbacks who can run the ball and who run the read option and and run with all the trickery because he has yet to figure out how to play the wide nine in those types of situations. And I'm done with my solid heat. I actually like you too, Sal. You're, you're fun to watch on the sideline. <laughs> you, you are, you're, you're raring to go today, but I, I did not, uh, I don't hold back because, it, because it's, because it's, it's love. It's all good. I, I'm, I'm going to make a horrible father. I think one day. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <It's> um, like, <laughs> I love you, but here's all the reason why you're a horrible. It's a 45, it's a 45 minute diatribe about why you're yeah. a horrible child. Yeah. Um, I think you're allowed to do that when you're dad, right? I don't know. Yeah, I think that could work. I, I probably <laughs> not though. Um, all right. So let's, let's put a bow on the, on the Ravens game. Let's put it behind us. Could you forget it about happened. forever? Please. What? What? Could we forget about this? It never yeah, happened. Yeah, that's fine with me. It never Ravens? happens. Baltimore? Ravens, too. I'm Baltimore? really, really tired of, of Baltimore. Yeah. Um, I have, like, real question, and I don't want to linger on this, but have, yeah. we ever, have we ever beaten the Ravens since they've been in Baltimore? Like, real serious question. We have beaten the Ravens in... We have not beaten the Ravens in Baltimore. We've beaten no, the Ravens like, like, in San Francisco a couple of years ago. Okay. In a game that they, we really shouldn't have beaten them, because I believe Tom Sula was the... The coach, but yes, uh, we have beaten. It feels like our, our record against them is really bad. <laughs> that's all I know. I um, believe that's the only time we've beaten them, and then we've never beaten them in Baltimore. And you have to go back to the Colts days for that. 
But yes, we, Before, we, we, since we, we've we, won a since we've won a game in Baltimore. <laughs> yes, I, I'm serious. Yeah, I, I mean, unless they unless we played some crazy game in Baltimore, I don't know about. But yeah, I mean, like it's like that. Yeah, it's that bad. But we did we did That's, beat them in San Francisco. Yeah, a couple years ago, five and five and two all all time. The, all time? the Ravens are five, five and two all time. So, so were they both in San Francisco? Uh, yep. I hope so, because otherwise I'm a big liar. Boom. 1996 and 2015. Yeah. 15 was with Tom Sula. Uh, that sounds right. Right? Yep. Yeah. First first year. No. Yeah, Kaepernick was there. Flacco. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Stuff. It was right. Hey. Right. Oh, that might have been the first thing I was right about today. Well, there you actually, go. today, now that it's, it's like after midnight. So, yeah. Good stuff. That was actually the first <laughs> correct thing I said today. <laughs> so, proceed. All right. So, on we move then to uh, the game on Sunday against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the 49ers are currently in uh, the Tampa area in Florida. They uh, pulled another, uh, we're on a long road trip, so we're going to not fly back to California. Uh, thing like they did between weeks one and two decided not to go to Ohio because it's very cold there right now. Uh, so instead they went to Cal- to Florida where it's nice and warm and they're playing on practicing on grass and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're going to take on the current number one seed in the NFC, um, the New Orleans Saints. Um, now, to my mind, the Saints are probably the more the the team that is most. Uh, consistent and solid on both sides of the ball uh, that the 49ers have seen probably all year. Uh, they've played teams with uh, very good offenses. they played teams with some good defenses, but they haven't really seen a team uh, that is as good as the Saints are on both sides of the ball. So, um, Chris, what is a matchup that you think is important for the 49ers to take advantage of in order to win the game? I think the 49ers need to put the saints into situations where Taysom Hill is in the game. <laughs> Cause the more the Taysom Hill is in the game, other than on special teams when we're punting, because that's, that's like, like the one thing that he does pretty well. Watch out for that guy. Yeah. So let's not punt, but as long as we're not punting, I want Taysom Hill on the field. Like every play. It's going to be interesting to, to me, maybe to nobody else, but to me, how they implement him in this game after seeing the way that the 49ers are so bad against quarterbacks around the ball. Now, Taysom Hill isn't a quarterback. I mean, I think he's listed as a quarterback, like on the roster, but he, he cannot throw the ball. Like, I mean, he, he was like a high school quarterback, and then he was supposed to be a college quarterback. But I think, like we were talking about before, he, he somehow like broke like every bone in his body when he was there for for at BYU for five years. Like he, he broke his leg, he broke his foot, he injured his elbow, he had knee injury, and he ended up with I think maybe like a year and a half of not very good quarterback play. So you know, it's a non combine guy. You know, he was a non drafted guy, and the Saints somehow fell in love with him, just like we fell in love with Jimmy G. Except this makes a lot less yeah, sense. Yeah, same exact thing. So in Tissom Hill, I, I sort of I sort of figure out like who who he is. He is Tim Tebow, but can't throw. By saying something, like can't throw even even more than Tim Tebow can't throw the ball. And he's smaller. He's not as quick, but he's pretty fast. So Tim Tebow's like it's like six three ish or something like that. Two thirty five. Tissom Hill's 
six one and a half, I think, because I was like, yeah, what up? I'm six one and three quarters, so take that, Taysom. But then he weighs like two twenty, so he's got me on that. Um, so I'm not gonna fight him. Not as beefy as as Tebow. <laughs> Remember, Tebow was like super elite with his three cone, and like, wow, this guy's like super, 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 super quick. Taysom Hill's more of a guy who's going to try to run you over, like Tebow could run you over. <laughs> And then he's going to try to get into the open field and run fast and hope that uh, like a linebacker's you know chasing after him. He says he ran a four four on his pro day, but I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> he seems more like a four five four six kind of guy. Except I don't, I don't know. Did you watch the uh, Thursday night game, the Thanksgiving game? Yeah, the Fa- the Falcons game where he basically. <laughs> Nobody touched him. He just was like, <laughs> where's like the, the parting of the Red Seas? And it was, it was just like, we're going to hand the ball to this guy. And, and like all of the players on the Falcons are just going to run to the sideline. <laughs> they was just going to run down the field by himself. <laughs> he was like, was like what do you think is going to happen here? So, so essentially, what I'm, what I'm extremely concerned about is that Salah is going to see quarterback next to his name and then treat him like a quarterback. This guy cannot throw the football. Like he really cannot throw the football. I mean, you know, obviously he can throw the football like like when he's not pressured, but in a football game, like in an NFL football game, he can't throw. He's just not good at it. Uh his overall pass rating, forty five point four. And and that includes like when he's lined up on special teams and nobody's covering him and he's throwing to open gunners and stuff like that. So let's see. Over his yeah, over his career, forty five point four quarterback rating. Uh, last year he was let's see three for seven as a passer, I mean, and, and this is a guy who's getting the ball all the time. I mean he's getting snaps like crazy. It's like looking at his 2018 snaps, he's on the field for 213 snaps, like 213 snaps, including 64 at quarterback. This guy's a, a quarterback, 64 plays, and he's still and you know his you know, three for seven. Some of those were on special teams, so. He's just not throwing the ball. So, like, I, they pretend that he's a quarterback, and for some reason, the teams think that he is, but he's not, and he doesn't throw the ball. So, I think that the Saints sort of realized his inability to throw the ball. So, they've sort of tried to incorporate him as more of a, I don't know, they, they sort of throw him all over the place. They put him in the backfield a little bit, they hand the ball to him, they have him run some read option, they put him out there as a wide receiver, they put him out as like the team's like number four tight end. He can't block; he's too small, and he's basically—he's—he's I mean, he's like the ultimate gadget player, but he's not fast. He's, he's just like you know—he's just like sort of like Tim Tebow, just minus the arm, which isn't good. He's—he's he's just like a guy who's who's tough, a guy who's strong, and, and apparently he's supposed to be a really, really nice guy. So I, I said before, like I feel bad like speaking poorly of him because he's probably like a much better person than I am, but. And if I ran in his position, and for some like unknown reason, you know, I get a call from the Saints, and the Saints tell me that they want me to come in there and be their Taysom Hill, I would do it in an instant. So I don't blame him for taking this opportunity by the horns, and good for him for what he's doing. And he's he's trying to catch the ball, and he's catching some passes, he's dropping his passes, but he's he's doing better. I mean, you can tell he's trying to turn himself into a football player in some capacity, sort of the way that the Tebow did as a tight end. But he can't block. That's going to be a problem. You know, it's only a matter of time. I mean, knock on wood for him personally, but with all his broken bones and all his injuries, it's only a matter of time before he gets hurt. And by putting him in the game, you need to remove one player. So you're going to remove. Well, 
you have Drew Brees, <laughs> perennial Pro Bowler, All Pro, Canton Bound, <laughs> one of the best quarterbacks in the red zone. So we can take him out. Not, not the most mobile of, uh, of quarterbacks, but very, very good in the red zone. Or we can take Alvin Kamara, who was 2018's best running back in the red zone, and it wasn't even close. So we can take one of these two guys out to put in Taysom Hill, who's just like a special teams guy. So you, might, you, you know, I know you've heard him before. You've heard me complain about him before. But some of our listeners may have not heard of him before. But you will hear about him. Believe me. Believe you me. You will hear about him on the broadcast. Because on the broadcast on Thursday night, there was like a Taysom Hill watch. Like, he's not on the field right now. And everyone's like, who, ca- like, who cares? If, like, neither, neither is, I don't know, like half of the 49ers special teamers. Like, 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 what does it matter if this guy's on the field? Anyway, you know? If he is on the field, then some trick play to him. So it's just like, pay attention to him. And please, Solid, did not cover deep because you want this guy to be throwing the ball because he's just not very good at it. <laughs> 2018, he was quarterback 30% of the time. And then they've lowered that amount to 18% of the time in 2019. And he is a hot two for three with a sack, but a little bit higher of a quarterback rating after his quarterback rating was like 36.3 last season. Cause somehow out of his what, maybe five or six passes out of shotgun, one of them was intercepted. <laughs> so so yeah, it's just basically like you're putting a running back, a running back who's not good enough to play running back and you're having, or maybe, maybe like, like a bad tight end, like your fifth string tight end in the, pre, in the preseason. And you're having him cause he's a hardworking dude and he's a quote unquote good guy. You're letting him do some stuff. And one of those things might be throwing the ball because the game doesn't matter. I mean, and, and that's what like the saints are doing in very, very important situations. And Kamara's watching from the sideline, angry, you can tell, or, or or Breeze is either lined up as a wide receiver for reasons unknown, so we could put Taysom Hill in the game. So, of course, because of all my hate, which is not really hate, I'm talking trash to my, uh, my father-in-law before the game about my, not dislike for Taysom Hill, but the fact that he is the most overrated player in the NFL. And I don't think it's even close as far as what you will obviously hear on, on, uh, on Sunday. It's like, you will have to dislike him. They like force you to dis- to dislike him for the, the lack of things that he does. So of course the guy has like, like the, the game of his career and then like has what, two touchdowns. I think one was it, like a short pass. And then he has another play where everyone's just like running away from him because they're scared of him or something. He's, he's, an, he's an imposing looking guy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like my size. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> Again, I don't, don't want to say bad things about him. Everything I've read about him says he's a very, very good person and a stand-up guy, and I don't fault him for what he's doing. I do fault Peyton for allowing him to be on the field and taking one of the Saints' three best offensive players off of the field. So, Salah, please study Taysom Hill and what he does, and most importantly, what he does not do which is pretty much everything and just treat him like a running back. If you just treat him like a running back, it's not going to be a problem. Just, it's just like wildcat and you're going to see him because they're going to try some stuff. I mean, if they're not, if they're not bounding us. They're, they're going to, there's, there's going to be some trickery one way or another. I would focus on stopping him when you see him 
you know, on the field, especially in, when they put them in motion and that kind of thing, because they're going to give them the ball and they're going to give them the opportunity to potentially throw the ball, maybe. They actually let him throw a ball one play last week and he threw it like five yards out of bounds. It's pretty sweet. And then I argue with my father-in-law about whether if Taysom Hill wants the field to be five yards wider, then why don't they just make it five yards wider? Because he's like, Taysom Hill, I mean, come on. So so he he's also Canton bound. We're catching him at the early part in his career here, so let's take advantage of it while he has no idea what he's doing playing football. And let's please, please, please do not allow him to score because I'll, I'll be hearing from it forever, and I'll probably get like a Taysom Hill jersey for Christmas this year. So, so please, 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 just stop this player who is not that good. Like he's really, he's not that good. He's in in any capacity, other than his effort, which is easy to find anywhere. Yeah. So he's a good athlete. Runs fast-ish, not NFL fast. Throws like a high school slash college quarterback. Last thing I'll say about him: this is the guy you want if you're a high school f- football coach. Like he's the ultimate player for you to have on your high school football team. Hardworking, great athlete at that level, and even probably at the you know, college level overall. And a guy who can throw the ball a little bit. He can catch the ball a little bit. He can run fast compared to other high school players, and you know he's he's apparently somewhat of a leader. So he's like a perfect high school player. We're in the NFL. Don't let it happen, Sullen, because if you allow him to take over this game, I'm going to seriously question your ability as a defensive coordinator going forward. And he, you don't care, but you should care about, about my opinion. <laughs> and then I, I will be rooting for someone to pick you up in the offseason as an OC because. <laughs> I mean, it, this is a guy who he cannot beat you. So that is the player that the foreigner should take advantage of and don't hurt him. Don't. That's the only thing. I mean, please, please not. I mean, because he's very fragile, apparently from college. So he was made of glass in college. You know, don't hurt him. A, because we don't like hurting people because we're not the saints. But whatever. I'm not <laughs> over that yet. <laughs> and and um and B, we want him on the field as much as possible. So if they want to put him on, on defense, cool with us. I was, I was sort of hoping they did. Like, I couldn't find a place where they put him on defense. He is good on special, special teams. Yeah, so special teams, watch out for the dude, because he's actually a good special teams player. Like, he really is. But on offense, he is not a good offensive player. And he is used in ways that I find to be quite absurd. And I found somebody who agreed with me today, and I was very happy, because I thought I was the only person in the fan club. And now there are two. And it will be it will be growing. Well, it's not really a fan club. It's kind of like an yeah, anti fan yeah, 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 club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 not a hate, not a hate. And I hate technically speaking because I like him. No, no. Just you just just you're just not impressed. Yeah. Not impressed. So, anyway, so th- that's all I have to say about his mail. That's all. Yeah, that was that was like <laughs> a half an hour, dude. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, no big deal. Oh, oh, that was much shorter than my conversation. I mean, this is like a, a four hour conversation that I had with my father in law, and I then he text, text me the next morning, and all he did was just text me Taysom him. Period. And then I got up and, and left. I'm never going back again. So yours. Um, all right. So for so for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay a little more traditional uh, in my <laughs> in my matchup. It's shocking. How could you? Um, so I think the major thing that this is gonna come down to, and I think this could be said, this could be flipped uh, the other direction, but I think it's it's important on specifically on the 49ers defensive side of the ball, and that's their pass rush which should have a more uh should be in line for a a, a better more uh impactful game uh against an offense like the Saints than, than an offense like the Ravens or the Cardinals or the Seahawks would allow them to do 
um, just because of the nature of the quarterback that's back there. Um, basically, there's a lot of numbers that could be thrown around here, but the but the long and the short of it is the 49ers are basically the either the the second or first best, depending on your the way you look at it, at creating pressure uh, along the defensive line. And the Saints are one of the top overall units um, at protecting uh, their quarterbacks from pressure. Um, they're, they're second in the league, um, according to uh, uh, PFF at pass blocking, for example. Uh, and their adjusted sack rate, according to uh, Football Outsiders, is at eighth in the league at 5.8%. Uh, so the 49ers, one of the top teams at creating pressure and getting to the quarterback. Uh, and the Saints are one of the top teams at keeping uh, their quarterback upright. And so basically we got a strength on strength, and I think uh, whoever is able to come out on top in this particular area is going to be uh, – it's going to be go a long way to helping that particular team win. Now, unfortunately, there's also another level to this uh, with the pass rush as it pertains to the 49ers getting to the uh, Saints quarterback. And that is the fact that uh, while Drew Brees is not going to be running the ball because uh, he's not fast, um, he does, however, do something very quickly, and that is get the ball out of his hand. Um, he is currently averaging 2.55 seconds uh, and time to throw. So basically between the snap and the time the ball leaves his hand, uh, that's a stat per NFL next-gen stats. Um, which is second in the league uh, at this particular point. So what 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 it, what that means is even if the offensive line was bad, Breeze would be able to overcome that by getting the ball out quickly. The offensive line is not bad, at least not as a whole. Um, I actually have a a piece coming out on on the site here before the end of the week where I talk about the fact that. Well, they have some very good players along the right-hand side of their offensive line. The left-hand side of their of the offensive line is a little bit shaky. Um, and so that would be an interesting uh, place to look as well in terms of uh, matchups. But that's going to be, a, like I said, that's going to be an interesting matchup on the other side of the ball too because the Saints have a really strong defensive line and the 49ers' offensive line has actually been uh, held up fairly well as in, in terms of uh, pass protection for the most part. But I think the one that... Uh, may end up turning the tide as far as in the 49ers' favor is if they can create pressure uh, against this uh, pretty solid offensive line for the Saints. The Saints have a, a couple of their, um, their their tackles who are... are uh, Teron Armstead in, is unlike... He has a high ankle sprain that he uh, got against the Panthers, I think, like two weeks ago. Yeah. He was limited in practice. I checked it this afternoon. Um, he was limited in practice. Uh, on uh, Thursday. Um, so I, I would imagine it, it, that was only like two weeks ago when he, when he, when he uh, sprained the ankle. So I don't, I would be really surprised if he's back that quickly. And the uh, backup that they have over there, uh, Omame, <laughs> Omame is his name. Um, his last name uh, is not, 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 not so good. Um, and they're starting left guard as well. Uh, Nick Easton, I believe. Also not so great. Um, so the left-hand side could be a hole that they are going to need to uh, to fill. Um, you know, there are other problems. There, you know, Michael Thomas is probably the best receiver in football. Alvin Kamara is still dangerous out of the backfield, even though he's been uh, struggling this year. Uh, they got other pass catchers, although <laughs> Taysom you know, Hill on the whole, the <clears throat> core is 
yeah, <laughs> on the whole, the the core is weaker. Uh, the receiving group is not not great um, as it has been in in other years, but they still have weapons and they have to be watched out for. So um, let's uh, go ahead and move on into the predictions portion of the show so we can uh, wrap things up here. Um, uh, to me, uh, when I was looking at uh, sort of ranking these last three games in terms of uh, how winnable they were, it was always Green Bay, New Orleans, Baltimore for me. Um, and it was probably Green Bay, New Orleans were pretty close together, and Baltimore was you know several rungs down in terms of when uh, whether or not the 49ers are going to win this game. So um, I think, as I mentioned before, New Orleans, what New Orleans does well on offense and the way that their offense operates is um, a lot more conducive to the 49ers being successful as a defense as opposed to teams like the the Cardinals and the Seahawks and the Ravens in that particular way. Now, the the trouble is, as I also mentioned, the Saints also have a pretty solid defense, although mostly their defense is strong up front. And the further back that you get, the weaker it kind of gets. Um, decent linebacker play, but their secondary has been kind of a mess this season um, in spite of the fact that they have two uh, former first round picks, uh, playing, starting at cornerback for them with Marshawn Lattimore and, uh, Eli Apple. Neither of them has been particularly effective this year and they can be beaten, um, for sure, uh, with the right opportunity. And I think if anything, Shanahan will find a way to get his receivers open in these, in these situations. Um, and frankly, I think even though, uh, the records indicate that these teams are very uh, much the same, and I think there's probably not a large gap between the two of them. I still think the 49ers are uh, the better team, um, and so I think they're going to find a way to win uh, in the Superdome, which is something they haven't been able to do in a long time for various reasons. Uh, rubbernecking. Um, <laughs> I'll just say that. Uh, you 49er fans know what I'm talking It was about. in the chest. Um, Give me a break. So oh, I'm going to go 28. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Uh, 28-20 49ers to win. Okay, so that's good. I don't need to kick you off today. Um, and I would not kick myself off either. Hey, I was I, w- I would like to say that I was almost exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, and, and so uh, honestly, you were, um, that, that was a, that was a good call. And probably one that I would have made if I wanted to be honest and not just take the opportunity to make fun of you instead. <laughs> just a little bit. So, yeah, it's so looking here, so the 49ers scored 349 points, allowed 186 for a point differential of 166. New Orleans Saints, 298 to 248 for 50. So 10-2, 50 points. Yeah, that's definitely not good. <laughs> I mean, it's not like um, Seahawks uh, bad, where it's like 36 points. It's like almost impossible. Whereas the Rams are uh, seven and five, and they're like thirty three points. I think it's the Dallas Cowboys before today were. I think their point differential was like seventy four, seventy five points, and this team is six and six. Yeah, you know? so so obviously you're supposed to be you're supposed to have a much better point differential than you know fifty points. So New Orleans is winning a lot of close games, and as we know, this is as we know this is the NFL. In case you haven't noticed, after an hour and a half of this. And in the NFL, the ball bounces, you know, it's an oblong ball. It bounces the way it wants to bounce, and there's nothing you can do about it. 
and you don't consistently win games by a couple points. And if you get into the situations enough times, you will start losing games, and it all all average out in the end, unless you're Russell Wilson and you drink the magic bubble water, and then you just win everything. But it, even with the you know, the Seahawks, their, their their streak of games that they shouldn't win will come to an end. It's only a matter of time. So I will also predict a victory for the 49ers because I've done so every week, and I don't think I'm going to stop right now. So the line on this game began at three. It's moved down to two and a half with two-thirds of the betters betting on San Francisco. So that's sort of consistent. The line has moved down from 45.5 to 44.5. So if my math is correct, which it can't be exactly correct because we don't give out quarter points, uh, we're talking 24-22 or 24-21-ish. 24-22 of an often seen score. Just doing the math. 20, yeah. If this is a 24-22 game, then I will not give you my tickets because my mom yelled at me about even offering that up. and She's very angry with me. And I might be out of the will. So. <laughs> but then she doesn't get to get it anymore in our game, so she probably won't do that to me. So, yeah, so 24-22, 24-21, I laugh at this. You know, there's there's no way this is going to happen. Instead, the 49ers will be victorious and by a greater margin than your silly 28 to 28 point difference. It'll be a two score game, 31 to 21, with the 49ers defeating the, the Saints and putting up four touchdowns and then allowing Robbie Gold to kick a very short field goal so he can gain a little bit of confidence and we don't have to bring back Chase. Although I don't. Wouldn't really mind bringing back. We can't bring back Chase. He's on another team. Yeah, we, could, we could always trade for him or something. You know. Anyway, thirty-one twenty-one. The 49ers will take control of this game. They will not have the letdown that they had after the Seahawks game. They know that this is the real deal. We're down the home stretch. We need to win football games. We need to win this football game. And we need to keep on winning football games until we beat the Seahawks and grab the number one seed in the NFC. And we get home playoff games i'd like if they'd continue winning football games until you know february that'd be great that was just the beginning for sure that's the point where i get to go to the games okay for sure gotcha yeah at at the stadium gotcha and and (laughs) and celebrate each and every one of our victories until the super bowl and then go there too and hope the ravens are not there sounds good all right well (laughs) uh friends and listeners and countrymen if you were still with us uh, for this uh, marathon edition of the uh, Niner Noise podcast. Thanks for, um, as always, for listening uh, to the Niner Noise podcast, which is part, again, of the Fansided Podcast Network. Uh, you can check us out on your favorite podcasting platform, be that Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, all these other fun things, uh, Spotify as well, I believe. Um, so if you would be so kind as to leave us a nice uh, five-star review or whatever the maximum amount of stars available for review, uh, we would certainly appreciate that as well if you would uh, share it with any uh, 49er fan friends that you have or, you know, any, you know, fans of opposing teams who, after we beat them, if you want to rub it in their face when we talk about the wins, those, those are also good good ways to use the podcast as well. But uh, until next week, uh, we will see you later, Niner fans.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.